All right, take your Bibles out. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 6. begin reading here in verse number 30 and read down to verse number 44. So Mark uh, chapter number 6, beginning here in verse number 30, the Bible says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. There are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread, and give them to eat? And he saith unto him, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all set down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up into heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes, and they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and God, as we come before your word, I pray that you would just help us. God, help us to have teachable hearts. What helps to have humble hearts, Lord, I pray, is to receive the truth that is before us. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help me, Father, as I teach and as I preach this morning. God, I pray you just give me clarity in my thoughts and in my words, Lord, just to say what you'd have me to say. Lord, nothing more and nothing less. God, I pray that Christ would be exalted in the service. I pray that the Spirit of God would work in hearts and it would work in lives. God, I pray if there be anyone here today, Lord, who has never Lord, called upon Christ to save them, I pray this would be the day, Lord. God, when they would find eternal life, when they would receive the free gift of God. God, I pray, Lord, for believers here today, God, I pray you would edify them. I pray you'd strengthen them, Lord. I pray you'd help them. Lord, just to live out the promises of God. Lord, just to abide in Christ. Lord, just to continue the walk of faith, running the race that is set before us, looking unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. God, help each and every one of us, Lord, to leave here today changed in some way, God. Lord, help us each today, Lord, to grow in some way, Father. I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you would help us, God, to receive now the truth of your word. God, we love you. God, we praise you. And God, we thank you, Lord, for another opportunity you've given us. Lord, just to, Lord, just to learn your word. And I thank you, God, for another opportunity you've given me, Lord, just to preach your word. And God, I pray we would never take this lightly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. 
All right, we are here in chapter number six, working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And two weeks ago, uh, again, we left off with the apostles. And if you remember two weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that Jesus Christ called his apostles to come to him. And he sent them out two by two in order to really become an extension of his ministry, preaching the word of God, calling people to repentance, healing the sick, casting out demons. All right, so Christ called his apostles to go out into the villages, out into the towns. Again, if a town received them, they would continue preaching. If a town rejected them, they were to leave the city and shake off the dust of their feet as a sign of God's judgment upon that city for rejecting the light of, of the word of God that had been given them. Now, last week was a little bit of an interval. We weren't talking about the apostles last week, but we did talk about the fact that it's obvious that, again, they have been successful in their ministry. Uh, the name of Christ has been spread abroad so much so that we talked about last week, Herod. Again, Herod ended up hearing of Christ. And remember, he was troubled in his spirit because he thought that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. Last week, we talked about, again, what happens whenever a person ignores their God-given conscience. Uh, and they, they have a troubled conscience and then a tormented conscience and then eventually a calloused conscience as we see in the life of Herod. Again, a warning to all of us, uh, again, to make sure that our conscience is, is tender, to make sure that again, when we hear the word of God, we respond to the word of God quickly. Again, we don't want to get to the place where Herod was, as we saw last week. But here in, chapter, here in chapter number 6, verse number 30, we are reintroduced to the apostles. Now, last time they were out preaching, uh, they were on this, uh, again, we called it a missions trip on their first uh, public stint of ministry upon this preaching tour, uh, doing what Christ had commanded them to do. And now we see here in verse number 30, they have come back from this trip that Christ has sent them upon. And again, we see, we read here in verse 30, the Bible says, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So Christ calls them back to himself and they sat down with Christ and they report upon the ministry that they have just done. They report upon all things that they have done. They report upon the things that they have said. And again, we're going to see here in verse number 31 and following really the big theme of the passage before us is the provision of God. And I've entitled this message, The Shepherd's Provision. Now, oftentimes we, again, get right to the feeding of the 5,000, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But we also see provision for these weary disciples. The apostles are worn out. The apostles are exhausted. Again, they have been ministering. They have been going strong. They have been doing what Christ has commanded them to do, and they are exhausted. And we see that even the Lord, again, with, with this tenderness in his heart, he has towards his own apostles, towards these disciples here, as he calls them to come apart, to get away from the crowds and to be with Christ for just a short season, to rest, to refocus, to recharge. Again, we see here the fact that just as Abraham said back in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, 14, God is truly Jehovah Jireh. God is the one who provides. He provides rest for laborers, he provides truth for seekers, and he provides sustenance for the hungry. So following that pattern, let's go ahead and let's pick up the first point this morning. That is the fact that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, provides rest for laborers. Verse number 30, the Bible says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart 
into a desert place and rest a while. For they were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Now again, this is a text of scripture that I think oftentimes we don't take time to consider. But we see here the provision of Christ for his own. We see here the provision of Christ and his tender mercies, not just for the multitudes, but for his own. For those who were laboring for Christ. For those who were doing what they were called to do. For, for these apostles here that had just come back from their first stint of ministry, Jesus says to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Again, why? Because verse number 31 says, For they were coming and going. And they had no leisure so much as to eat. They were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat a meal. Right? They didn't have time to do many of the basic, again, responsibilities in life because their ministry schedule was demanding. It was exhausting. And it was a busy, intense period of labor. And surely as men, again, they were tired. They were worn out. They were exhausted. And we see here, Jesus calls them to come into a desert place. A desert place meaning a solitary place. Away from the crowds. An uninhabited place, a quiet place, a place where they can be alone with the Lord. And verse 32 says, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. We see here the tenderness of Christ. And he has called these men to labor diligently. He has called these men to work hard. He has called these men, again, not to a life of ease, not to a life of laziness, but to a life of diligence, to a life of hard work. Again, diligently serving the Lord. But even these men, again, Christ recognized that they were all, again, they, they were still men. They still had limitations. And they grew weary. And they got worn out. And they became exhausted. And Christ here calls them to come apart, to be with him, and to rest a while. And one preacher of years gone by says this. He says, come yourselves apart and rest a while is a must for every Christian. If you don't come apart, you will come apart. Again, and that is a lesson for all of us. That is a lesson for those, especially, again, who are diligent in the work of the Lord. Again, come apart. Again, rest a while. Again, not a life of rest, but a season of rest. A brief season of rest, getting away. Again, resting a while. Recharging, refocusing, so you can re-engage in the work that God has called you to do. And this principle is important for us to grasp this morning. Why? Because, number one, the Bible rebukes laziness. All right? Laziness is a sin. All right? None of us, again, the Christian, should not be a lazy person. And the Bible commends diligent, diligence. The Christian should be, the, again, the hardest worker on their job. Again, the Christian should be a hardworking person, have a strong work ethic, should labor diligently, whether it's in their workplace or whether it's, again, in some other sphere of life. But we also see here the balance with that is the fact that God has also designed us to need seasons of rest. And we see this is the kindness of God. This is the tenderness of Christ. He recognizes, he knows our frame. He knows that we are, even the best of men are men at best. He recognizes that we are but dust. We're here for a little bit, and then we're gone the next moment. We labor, again, we work to the point of exhaustion, but we also grow weary. 
Again, God in his grace provides seasons of, seasons of rest. And we see that in the case of his disciples. In the case of these apostles here, he calls them. Again, after this first missionary tour, calls them to come. Come be with Christ. Come he yourselves apart into a desert place, into a solitary place, he says, and rest a while. This is a unique uh, topic here just because it's really not touched on very often in Scripture, but we do find it here. And that is the gift of rest. The gift of rest that God gives, something that often we don't, again, we don't, we don't really thank God for because again, we just, it's such a natural part of life. We don't recognize that, no, this is a gift of God, the fact that God gives us rest. In Psalm 127, verse 2, the Bible says this. It says, it is vain for you to rise up early and to set up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Have you ever thanked God for the gift of even just sleep. I mean, of all things, have you ever just thought about the fact that the way that God has designed the world, again, God has designed it in such a way that there's a 24-hour day and night cycle so that really you're forced to rest at nighttime. Again, God has given you every single day a period to work and to be diligent and to labor, and then you're exhausted by the end of the day, and then you go to bed and you rest. And you get up the next day, you work, and then you rest, and you keep doing that again and again and again. And God didn't make a 48-hour day. God made a 24-hour day because he knew the needs of man. Have you ever considered you know, the, the seven-day week, which was designed by God? God did not design a five-day week or a ten-day week, but a seven-day week. A six days to work, one day to rest. All right? God has provided this within, he has embedded this within the creation week. Again, as a student of history... I remember reading years ago about the fact that during the French Revolution, uh, again, France ended up just uh, deciding, again, because they were trying to erase all, again, every influence of Christianity within their society. And they tried to go to a 10-day work week. And guess what happened? It didn't work. All right. Productivity went, went down. And again, they weren't able to accomplish the things that they needed to accomplish as a society because they weren't following the model of God. They weren't following the seven-day, the six-day work, one-day rest, again, pattern that God has provided. But we see here that even the way God has, has created things, within the rotation, again, within the day and night cycle, within the seven-day week, again, God has done that for our good. God has designed things in such a way, again, to provide for the needs and make provision for the limitations of men recognizing, again, that we are weak, recognizing that these bodies wear out, so much so that it reminds us of our dependence upon him. Every time you go to bed at night, it reminds you, again, that, you're, that you are a mere mortal. It reminds you of how much you need God. It reminds you that, again, you can't go a week and not rest because God has designed you to need rest because it reminds you that you are dependent upon God. All right. you, you try to work again for a 10 days straight and do that again and again and again and just again study history and you'll find out that it that it doesn't work. So while God calls us to be diligent, God calls us to work hard, God calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. Again, God says, don't don't be lazy. Again, don't be slothful. The Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. God says, don't be lazy. Don't fall into that pit. All right. Be diligent. Work hard. But at the same time, God also calls us to seasons of rest. And we need both of those. 
We need to labor intensely. We need to work until we're exhausted. And then we need to thank God for the, for the rest that he gives. Uh, consider this quote by one preacher of years gone by. He says this, and I quote, he says, Rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take an occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. All right, people who just run themselves ragged and don't think, well, again, I can just stay up all night and I can I can work all day and work all night. You're deceiving yourself because actually your productivity will go down. You know, God has designed us to rest. So avoid laziness. Romans 12:11 says not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So avoid laziness. Be diligent. Ecclesiastes 9:10 says whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. But also recognize that in serving God, you know, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's in the church, whether that's in your home, as you serve the Lord, if you are going to be productive in what God has called you to do, you need seasons where you just get away. You need seasons, again, where you recharge. You need seasons where you rest. You need seasons where you reflect and refocus on the work of God. Again, one Bible teacher says this, and I quote, he says, God calls us to work, but he also calls us to rest in order to work most fruitfully. What sets us apart is this. We rest. This is important here. We rest in order to work. We do not work in order to rest. We who believe the gospel are not living for the weekend, but for the end. All right, I like that. I like the way that's worded. All right, notice here we rest in order to work. All right, we rest for brief seasons of rest in order to get, give us the energy and the strength to be able to work and labor diligently. We don't work for the purpose of rest. No, we rest for the purpose of, of work. And like, again, this, this quote says here, again, we're not living for the weekend. That's how most of the world lives. No, we're living for eternity. We're living for the end. We're living for that day when we stand before Jesus Christ, again, as believers at the judgment seat of Christ, that we may hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we see here that God gives his servants seasons of rest. Again, he provides rest. And again, although they are brief seasons often, and yet they are a gift of God. And yet they are something, again, we need and we need to thank God for. And these brief seasons of rest are really a, are really a foreshadowing of the eternal rest that believers have in Christ. Revelation 14.3 says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, save the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So the day of eternal rest is coming for those who labor in the Lord, for those who serve the Lord, for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, until then, we labor in the Lord. We are diligent. We are faithful. Again, we seek first the kingdom of God, recognizing that there are seasons even in life that we need to just step back and rest, recharge, refocus, and get right back in the saddle and keep serving the Lord. Why? Because we're living for greater things. We're living for higher things. We're living for eternal things. And again, as long as we're here, God has a job for us to do. So we see here God provides rest for laborers in his, in his service. Secondly, God provides truth for seekers. We see that here in verses 33 through 34. The Bible says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran a foot thither out of all the cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So we find here that it wasn't long before the crowds caught up to Christ. 
And it seems like that's just a recurring pattern. Right? Christ, again, it goes from one place to the next place, and the crowds uh, somehow figure out where he is, and they come and seek after Christ. And that's the case here. I'm sure it doesn't tell us here how the apostles felt about this, but maybe they were a little bit disappointed. Right? Maybe they wanted a little bit, uh, a little bit longer season of rest, uh, but it's not long before they are interrupted by the crowds again, by the multitudes that come once again seeking after Christ. But instead of sending the crowds away, away instead of ignoring the crowds and again giving, giving a longer season of rest, we see here that Christ turns his attentions back to the crowds. And the Bible says he has moved with compassion toward them. Why? Because it says they were as sheep not having a shepherd. All right, so the crowds catch up to him. Crowds catch up to him and the apostles. Uh, their brief season of rest is over. It's time to get back to work. And again, the multitudes come to Christ, and Christ looks upon the multitudes, and the Bible says that he has compassion, not just for the apostles, but also for the multitudes. Also for the crowds of people that he sees about him. Jesus looks out at the crowds of people, and he sees sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Again, people in Bible times would have understood, again, the, uh, the danger, again, of a, of a sheep not having a shepherd. Again, a sheep without a shepherd was vulnerable. A sheep without a shepherd was defenseless. A sheep without a shepherd was prone to get picked off by, by predators. A sheep without a shepherd would likely grow sickly and malnourished. A sheep without a shepherd was in great danger. Again, wandering here and there, wandering to and fro. Yet Christ looks upon these people and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to guide them. They need someone to care for them. They need someone to help them. And it was a shepherd's responsibility to care for his flock. It was a shepherd's responsibility to guard his flock, to protect his flock from wild animals. It was a shepherd's responsibility to feed his flock and to bring his sheep to, again, waters, clean waters where they could, uh, they could be refreshed. That was the job of the shepherd. Again, but these people here, these multitudes of people, they were a sheep without a shepherd. They were as defenseless and vulnerable sheep. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Jesus knew of the many false shepherds and that had deceived the people. The Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel had warned that there were many false shepherds in Israel that were not caring for the people, that were not guiding the people, but that were misleading the people. And really, times haven't changed. Again, we may call them, again, something else today, but even today, again, there are many false shepherds in the world that lead people astray. Instead of leading people to the truth of God's word, they lead them away from the word of God. And what a danger that is. We see the same was, again, it was the same way in the Old Testament. We see here the prophet Ezekiel warning uh, about the false shepherds in Israel. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do, not, that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which is broken, neither have ye brought again that which is driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty ye have ruled them. 
And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flocks at, your, at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. We see here Jesus Christ, we see here the word of God, through the prophet Ezekiel, again rebukes the false shepherds of Israel. And they didn't care for the people. They were not true shepherds. They were false shepherds. And they took advantage of the people. And they didn't go out and they didn't heal those that were, again, those that were sick. They didn't go out and they didn't, again, take care of those that were broken. They didn't seek after that which was lost. They were scattered abroad. They became meat to all the beasts of the field, the Bible says. Why? Because the shepherds weren't doing their job. And Jesus rebukes the shepherds here, again, by recognizing... Again, why the nation of Israel is where it is, again, when he, again, during his, during his earthly ministry. Again, times really hadn't changed whenever Christ came along, whenever Jesus came into the world. Again, still you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the scribes, you had the religious establishment that still led the people astray. Oh, they called themselves shepherds of Israel, but they were not true shepherds of Israel. They fed themselves, but they didn't feed the sheep. They didn't care for the sheep. They didn't guide the sheep. They didn't, they didn't mend up the sheep that had been, that had been hurt. They didn't protect the sheep from, from wolves and, and from, again, uh, uh, spiritual predators. But we see here Jesus looks upon these multitudes of people and he sees them as, as sheep without a shepherd. Those that have been led astray by the false shepherds of Israel. And we know Jesus Christ, he came in as the good shepherd. Again, he is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. The Bible refers to him as the chief shepherd, the one who came to give his life for the sheep. And the Bible says here in verse 34, again, as, as Jesus looked upon the great crowd of people, a sheep without a shepherd, the Bible says he took time to teach them. Verse 34, the latter part of the verse says, and he began to teach them many things. Now we're coming up. Again, to the passage here that deals with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is about to feed their stomachs. All right? He is about to take care of the phys- their physical need. But before he does that, he cares for the most important need that they have. And that is their spiritual need. He ministers to their soul uh, with the nourishing truth of the word of God before ministering to them physically with the bread. Again, that he is about to multiply in just a little bit. We see here that Christ's chief concern, as we've seen through the Gospel of Mark, his chief concern was spiritual over physical. His chief concern was the salvation of those that were lost, those that were wandering, those that had been led astray by the false shepherds of Israel. And what about us? As we look at the world around us, how do you see those around you that are not saved? How do you view those that are around you that, again, do not know the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And they have never they have never repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you view them? How do you see them? And you may disagree with them politically. You may disagree with them ideologically. But how do you see them? Can you see them as as enemies or do you see them as Christ did as sheep without a shepherd? Do you lift up your eyes and have compassion upon the lost and see them as those that have been led astray by the false shepherds of our time, by false religion? Again, false religion has led more people astray, really, than probably atheism down throughout the ages. Again, how do you how do you see the lost world around you? Do you lift up your eyes? Do you have compassion upon the lost, realizing again, that they have been blinded by the God of this world? By the prince and power of the air, they have been God, they have been blinded by Satan to the truth of the gospel. Again, they need Christians to come along and to have compassion upon them. Again, they need us to come along and to see them as they are, a sheep not having a shepherd, and to and to have enough compassion and love within our heart to speak the truth of the word of God to them. Is that how you see them? Is that how you see the lost world around you? As those that have been led astray, again, by false and destructive, again, shepherds of our day. And do you see them just as Christ saw the multitudes in his day? Again, and do you point them to the good shepherd, to the one who alone can guide them and save them and forgive them and transform them and help them? And do you point them to the one who alone, again, is, is the shepherd of their souls? Again, the one that they need the most. Again, do you see them? Do you speak truth to them just as Christ spoke truth? To those who sought for him. Let's continue on though to our third point in that we also see that Christ provided sustenance for the hungry. Beginning here in verse number 35, the Bible says, And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all set down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. So we see here in these verses the seeming predicament that Jesus and his disciples are in, at least from a human perspective. Jesus has been teaching the crowds. He has been teaching them the truth of the word. And again, the crowds of people are surrounding him. They are listening to him. They are hearing him. But the problem is nightfall is coming. The day is far spent. There is not much daylight left and the people are getting hungry. All right, and the, the, the disciples begin to realize this. They come to Jesus and they remind him of this, of this seeming predicament that they are in. They, they say to Christ, this is a desert place. Meaning this is a solitary place. Again, there's no there's no fast food restaurants around here. Again, they, they send them away because the, the time is far past. Night is coming. The solution of the disciples was to send the people away. Verse 36. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. And that was a problem. It was a human problem. All right. Again, it was a problem that the disciples realized Again, was again was 
was not only for them because they couldn't provide that amount of food, but also for the people because they didn't have anywhere to go to get food. Again, at least at least in that area in which they were hearing Christ. But notice how Christ responds here. Jesus attests the disciples by turning the problem back upon them. Take a look at verse number 36. He answered and said unto them, to his, to his disciples, give ye them to eat. And they're probably wondering, again, what in the world do you mean, give ye them to eat? Don't you know, again, we don't have anything to feed them. And we don't have enough money to gather in order to buy food for this massive crowd that is hungry. Notice what, what they say. Verse 37, they say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread? And that would have been 200 penny worth of bread. And that would have been about uh, 200 penny worth would have been about, uh, again, the average uh, wage, uh, eight, eight months of wages for the average worker of the day. All right. In order to buy enough bread to feed these people. They say, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Again, they, they know their limitations. They recognize there's no way, again, we're going to get enough bread to feed these, these huge crowds of people. And there's 5,000 hungry men. And that's not even including their wives. That's not even including the children. That's just the men. 5,000 hungry men. And again, we don't have the money to buy bread. Again, how are we going to give them to eat? But Jesus, again, turns to them. He says, give ye them to eat. And clearly here, Jesus was testing them. He was testing the faith of the apostles to see to whom they would turn, whether they would rely upon their own human limited reasoning and resources, or whether they would turn to Christ, trusting in him, relying upon him and his power and his limitless resource to provide for the needs, again, that, were, that the multitudes had. In the parallel passage in John 6, verses 5 through 6, the Bible says, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? But notice what it says. The Bible verse says, And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. All right, Jesus is completely calm. He's not panicking in the situation, wondering how they're going to feed the hungry multitudes. No, Jesus knows what he is going to do. Jesus knows the end from the beginning. Jesus knows how all this is going to turn out. He knows the miracle that he is about to perform. But why does he speak to the apostles this way? Why? Because he is proving them. He is testing them. He is seeing where their faith is in, whether it is in themselves and their meager resources or whether their faith is in Christ. Again, the one who can, again, as, as we're about to see, who can take a little bit of food and, and multiply to provide for the needs of many. Take a look at verse 37. And they respond to Christ, should we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Remember, Jesus was testing them. And God will often prove us. God will often test us in the same way. He will, he will allow us to be in situations to test how we will respond. Again, will we respond by trusting in ourselves? Get our own reasoning, our own resources, which are limited and which are meager? Or will we trust in the creator of the universe? Will we trust in God? Will we trust in the omnipotent one? Will we trust in the one who knows all things and who has all, who has all power and who has limitless resources? Will we look to him? Will we run to him? Will we trust in him and rely upon him? Verse 38, he saith unto them, unto them how many loaves have ye? Go 
and see. Now, John 6, verse 9 makes it clear that these loaves and these fishes here were from a young boy. All right, so five loaves, again, these would have not been huge loaves, these would have been smaller loaves, and, and two fish would have been the standard size at lunch for a boy. All right, so this was a, this was a young boy's lunch, enough to fill his stomach, but definitely not enough to fill the stomachs of 5,000 hungry men, all right, plus women, plus the children, again, upwards of a group of, uh, again, 15 to 20,000 people, uh, again, could have, could have been in, in this multitude. But we see here a principle. Again, uh, Mark here doesn't deal with the boy as uh, doesn't deal with the boy at all. He he uh, mentions here that there were five and five loaves and two fishes. Uh, the Gospel of John goes a little bit more in depth again in pointing out that this was a boy's lunch that he had given to Christ. And the principle here for us is the fact that again God can can take the little bit we have if we make it available to Him, and God can do great things with it. All right, a little boy's lunch doesn't seem like much, especially to feed a group of 5,000 hungry men, all right, plus many others that were also there on that day. But this little boy who made his lunch available to Christ to be able to use, again, it was because of his faith in Christ and his willingness to give the little bit that he had to Christ. Again, that resulted in the feeding of the 5,000 plus many more that were there on this day. And the principle applies to us as well. It reminds us that truly, just as the song goes, little is much when God is in it. God can take the meager resources we have, and as we trust him, and as we walk in faith, and as we place the little we have in this life, and we place it in his hands, God can do great and marvelous things with the meager resources that we have. Again, we couldn't do that. Again, I can't take a boy's lunch and feed a, feed, feed a group of 5,000 hungry men plus many others, but God can do that. God can take something that is very small. God can take meager resources. God can take a small group of people that may not have much in this world, and God can do great things to bring glory to his name and to help many others. Can we see that in the lesson here? Take a look at verse 39 down to verse 44. The Bible says he commanded them to make uh, all sit down by companies upon the green grass. They sat down in rings by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. We see here a couple of things. We see, first of all, we see the power of Christ. And this isn't the first miracle we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, but this is one of many miracles. This is actually only one of two miracles that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Again, in a point to the fact that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And he proved that, again, through his works. His works, his miracles... Again, these, these, these sign miracles that he is doing and that he, he did all throughout his ministry pointed to the fact that he truly was the Son of God. Again, the people should have, again, without hesitation, believed upon Christ after seeing this miracle. Tragically, what we see with the multitude is, is eventually the multitude falls away. They don't want the hard sayings of Christ. They don't want to truly count the cost and follow after Christ. And many of the multitude are just there to get a free lunch. 
And as we'll see as we work our way through the Gospels here. But we see here that Christ again uh, displays his power again over nature, taking just a small boy's lunch, multiplying it to feed a a huge group of people. Like I said, again, it was more than 5,000. You do another 5,000 for uh, for women, again, that's 10,000. Another 5,000 for children, that's 15,000, and probably more than that, maybe upward to 20,000 people that were fed on this day. We also see not only the power of Christ, we also see the provision of Christ. Christ not only fed the crowds, he filled the crowds. This wasn't just a, an evening snack that he had given them to hold them over till the next day. Though the Bible makes it clear that whenever they partook of the bread that Christ gave them, it filled them to the point where they were full. Verse number 42 says, and they did all eat. Nobody went without. All right, they didn't skip over people. Every person that was there, again, didn't have an excuse for going away hungry. No, all that were there did eat, and all that were there were filled. And there was so much that Christ made that the Bible even tells us there were 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes that were left over. So Christ didn't provide a mere evening snack. He provided an abundant provision. He provided a feast for these people. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus would go on to teach the multitudes about the fact that and he is the bread of life. And Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread from heaven. He is the bread of God. And as we partake of Christ by believing in Christ, abiding in Christ, following Christ, again, we too are filled spiritually. Those who taste of the riches of following Christ, again, they, they recognize that he and he alone satisfies the soul of mankind. He is our provider. As we delight ourselves in him. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm sure there's many in this room that can testify. You have tasted of the bread of life. And you have seen and you can testify of the fact that, again, it is good. He is a good God. And he satisfies us with his provision. And he becomes the delight of our souls. In closing this morning, a couple of things. First of all, again, we recognize who Christ is. Again, Christ looked upon the multitudes, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, some of them would believe upon Christ and would follow Christ. Many of them just got a free lunch on this day and, and, and went away and uh, were, were physically you know, better for a couple of hours, but ultimately were no better spiritually because they chose not to believe upon Christ. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you are like one of the multitudes. You were like one that was part of this large group of people. Or maybe you know somebody you know, who is like these in the multitude, who the Bible describes as these who are sheep without a shepherd. Tossed to and fro and with, every, with every wind of doctrine. Tossed to and fro with all the world's ideologies. Again, seeking but never finding what... They're looking for trying the things of the world, but finding them lacking and empty. Again, the Bible tell, tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, outside of Jesus Christ, a person, again, will be led astray. 
And they'll be led astray to the grave again if they never come to Christ and they never repent and believe upon Christ. If they never believe upon him, again, who is the good shepherd. Again, outside of Jesus Christ and a life that, again, does not follow the word of God is a life that is prone to all the spiritual deception that is in the world. It is the truth of God's word and the truth of God's word alone that sets us free. Again, it is the bread from heaven that alone satisfies the soul of mankind. It is the truth of God's word that guides us in the truth, that breaks free the shackles of sin within our life, but also protects us from spiritual deception. But maybe you're here today, and again, you, you know Christ. Again, you can say with David, as we read in our scripture reading, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a personal thing. It's not that the Lord is somebody's shepherd, but I know the Lord is my shepherd. There is a time in my life when I repented and I believed upon Christ and Christ alone to save me. And he changed my life. Again, and I've been following him, and I've been living for him, and I've been growing in him. And you know that he is your shepherd. Why don't you take time this morning to praise him for his faithful provision? Again, when was the last time you you just took time to to set down and and to think of all the ways that God has blessed you? I mean, even even little things we often take for granted. Like we and we talked about sleep. I mean, when have you ever heard a sermon on on sleep or just rest? I mean, the way that God has designed the world, you know, to to meet the needs of mankind. Little things like that. Do we take time to thank Him for His provision, the provision of life, the provision of salvation? The provision of of Christ himself, who is the bread of life, who satisfies the soul of mankind. In the provision of of, of rest that he gives us in the Lord. In the provision of rest in the sense that, again, we are not trying to work our salvation. We're not trying to, to work for our salvation. Again, but Jesus Christ and through his finished work has offered us eternal life and gives us eternal life when we believe the gospel. I ask you this morning, are you satisfied in him? Again, would it be your testimony, again, uh, just as the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And have you tasted of his goodness this morning? Again, are you relying upon yourself or are you relying upon him, just as the disciples, the apostles here? Again, Jesus was testing them. He was proving them. And again, Christ will allow us to be in situations where he proves us. And he reveals to us where our trust really lies in, whether it's in self or whether it's in God. Again, where does our trust lie? And are you placing your life in his hands? Are you trusting in him? Are you looking to him and his provision within your life? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we just thank you for the truth before us in your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the shepherd that provides. And Lord, I know there's many in this room that can testify, Lord, of how you have provided in their life. Lord, how you provided, first and foremost, salvation. Lord, the free gift of eternal life that is in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you, Lord. I thank you for saving me, Lord, and changing my life, Lord. And God, I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and for your many blessings. God, I pray as we go about this life, I pray that as we go through seasons of testing, seasons of proving, I pray, Lord, that we, Lord, would learn to look to you, would learn to run to Christ and rely upon you, Father. Lord, for all of our needs. God, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never, Lord, recognized, Lord, their their need of a Savior. Lord, I pray today would be the day when they'd recognize, Lord, that just as the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. Lord, we are all born going our own way, God. 
Lord, but when a person gets saved, they turn around and, Lord, they go your way, Father. And they, Lord, find that, that you truly are the good shepherd. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd work in hearts today, Lord. Have your will and way in this service. I pray this in Jesus' name.